My name's uh, Jenny Benrose. I'm based at the Institute for Employment Research. My broad area of interest is transition from education into the labour market and through the labour market. Um, so not just the one-off transition that used to occur about 20 years ago from school into work, but looking at the from school to college or training transition onwards into employment. Uh, and once in employment, of course, now... Uh, between employment, between sectors, uh, learning across the life course, making transitions across the life course. So it's a very kind of broad area. And within that, uh, there are two particular strands of work that I've been working on most recently. One relates to labour market information, the kind of labour market information that is particularly required to support people in those transitions into and through the labour market. The other strand of work relates to career pathways and narratives, um, you know, looking at longitudinal studies both in the UK and Europe. And I'm going to speak now about one of the particular strands of research I've been involved with for now, now for over about 18 months, and it's ongoing, uh, and it relates to the career development of women, older women in this particular case. I got interested in this particular area of work because the ways of talking about and delivering careers education and careers guidance and career support and career counselling, call it what you will, uh, has tended to assume in the past that people's needs are generic. But it is quite obvious when you look at the different career trajectories of, of, of people uh, representing different sort of characteristics that uh, their experiences of making their way in the labour market are, are not similar. And women is a prime example of that. Uh, if you just think about the differences to uh, career development and career progression uh, that occur because, for example, of uh, caring responsibilities that uh, are normally shouldered predominantly by women. Obviously, men are increasingly take, taking a role in care responsibilities, but women still take... Uh, the, the, the load as far as care responsibilities are concerned. So that time out of the labour market to have children, to bring up children, frames the experiences of women in a very different way from, from men. So the research study that uh, I'm focusing on is a six-country international study so that we can compare the different experiences of women making their way through labour markets across the world uh, the six countries that are represented in the study are uh, England, uh, Australia, South Africa, Italy, Germany and Argentina. Uh, and so from that list of countries you can see there's a mix of developed and developing countries and also there's a mixture of developed countries that are experiencing very different impacts from the current global recession. So the sample does give us quite a... Um, uh, a varied mix of different sort of labour markets in which these women are making their way. So we're, we're looking at the women's career paths with an eye on the retention of older workers, which has become uh, a policy which is quite uh, a sort of sensitive one in many countries around the world. Uh, and as I say, we're also particularly looking, searching for international comparisons. Now, the research that we're undertaking is qualitative in nature and it's a cross-country case study comparison which has involved semi-structured interviews of approximately one hour duration across the six countries already identified. 
the, the methodology has been slightly different depending on country context. So, for example, in England, the telephones, uh, the interviews were undertaken by telephone and digitally recorded. Uh, in some of the other countries, like Australia, South Africa, Italy and Germany, the interviews were face-to-face -face, uh, at a time and location suitable for the candidate. So the exact details of the data collection has varied slightly depending on, on context, but all the interviews were recorded and transcribed. There were five particular areas on which we focused in the interviews. We collected data on background information, which included age, income, marital status, employment status, highest qualification, dependents, and we asked the participants to talk about their present, past and future work and learning experiences. Uh, we focused particularly on previous work and learning transitions and got the women in the study to talk about the, the nature of these transitions, including the learning that they'd undertaken, uh, which had supported and facilitated their movement across different sectors, into different jobs and so on and so forth. The uh, research methodology is based on grounded theory uh, and we've uh, undertaken a, a two-stage, nine-phase thematic analysis across three initial countries, um, Australia, England and South Africa, of, of the data. Uh, the data analysis has been a very painstaking procedure from which has emerged nine master code categories with uh, phases of refinement, iteration, uh, sort of amongst the, the different uh, researchers. So the stage that we're at at the moment is to start teasing out the major themes that are emerging from these data across the three countries initially, and then we're going to be moving on to analysis of the uh, data from the other three countries. And the master codes that have emerged so far include uh, learning across the lifespan, uh, transition and the responses to these transitions. We uh, have a category called intrapersonal influences, um, one relating to work influences, one financial influences, social influences, uh, a whole set of issues related to relocation, particularly when relocation was undertaken as a result of husband or partner's uh, job movement. And then we have a good deal of data relating to uh, the retrospective, reflective view of the women uh, on the, their career trajectories and, and the sort of advice they'd give to other people and what they're planning for themselves for the future. What I'm going to talk about now for a, a, a few more minutes are some of the findings from the English women participants, uh, because within those sort of broad themes, one very strong um, set of influences started emerging from the participants, which uh, I found very uh, sort of interesting, not least because the women themselves were not labelling their experiences in a way that I would have expected them to label them. And these experiences related to um, occupational segregation and to the kind of discrimination and harassment that these women had clearly experienced in their, in their working lives. And throughout the analysis of data, I guess, what we're asking, one of the questions we're asking is, what are the implications of these findings for the kind of career guidance support that, that is required for older women making transitions in the labour market? 
So if we just sort of pause and take a step back before we look at the findings from the English sample, uh, sort of in the in the UK, it has now been 35, 40 years since equality legislation was, was passed. Uh, and since this legislation, it is uh, undoubtedly the case that we've had many advances in women's position in society. So, for example, there are more women in work than, than previously ever was the case. Um, and one statistic is that 70.6% of women, compared with 79.2% of men, uh, women of, of uh, employable age are now in the labour market. Another statistic which testifies to the advancement and the progression of um, women in society is that girls are now outperforming boys at practically all stages of education, um, both at secondary level, tertiary level and beyond that into adult education. Some problems remain, however, the pay and opportunity gap for women re remain uh, and recent statistics that have been produced indicate that women's wages are on average 20% lower than men's uh, and women continue to be crowded into a narrow range of low-paying, typically part-time occupations. This is becoming a particularly critical issue in, at times of economic recession. Of course, um, women are predominantly employed in the public sector and because the public sector is being particularly hard hit in the UK by the austerity measures that are being introduced by the government, women are more vulnerable to this kind of job loss than, uh, than men. Um, and so the, the narrowness of the range of occupations into which women are squeezed continues to be an issue uh, and is causing particular problems in times of, um, in times of recession. So of the, of the 12 English participants in the study, uh, they're all between the age of 45 and 65, in common with the samples of the other five countries. Uh, in terms of marital status, eight of the women interviewed are, are currently married, three divorced and one is widowed. Uh, educational level spans from sub-degree level to doctorate level. And in terms of employment status, seven reported themselves in full-time employment two in self-employment, uh, self one had recently been made redundant, uh, one was retired recently, and one described herself as in a vocation. She was and is a minister of religion. So, as I said, strong themes have emerged um, around the kind of prejudice and discrimination uh, that uh, these women had experienced, but uh, if they had recognised it, they didn't label it in the interviews, uh, and the same uh, sort of applied to uh, sexual discrimination and harassment that, if you look at the published work in this particular area, uh, are heralded as major stressors in the lives of working women, alongside home conflicts, childcare responsibilities and workplace politics. So talking in particular about the experiences of one of the women, who was 51 at the time that she was uh, interviewed, and she had progressed within an organisation in which she'd been employed for some 22 years to a senior management position. But there'd been a restructuring uh, of the organisation and she felt that she had effectively been squeezed out. And this is a person who had been made redundant uh, just before the interview took place. Uh, and she felt that her she, she had been kind of deliberately 
um, supplanted by a young man who didn't have the kind of qualifications and experience that, that she did. And she had suffered enormously during the period of about two years during which this process had been taking place. Uh, and, and during this period, she had become so stressed in the workplace that she'd suffered serious illnesses with prolonged absences. Uh, and to quote from what she said, it was very grim, it was an awful time, and I think I made myself quite ill. It was all personal, it was inside me, I felt so wretched about the whole situation, and it, was, and it just seemed so, dare I say, unfair, but it was very demoralising. This is, being like, this is like being emasculated, and I couldn't really understand why, after I'd given so much, and I felt I'd delivered a lot. So that's a verbatim quote from this particular uh, participant, who had, from her descriptions, undoubtedly suffered uh, quite severe sort of harassment, and it might well be the case that she had um, sort of uh, suffered discrimination, but... Not once did she complain about that or label the behaviour. Uh, and the, the strongest language she used here was, it was unfair. Uh, a second participant had worked in the aeronautical engineering occupational sector for the first 20 or so years of her, of her working life. She decided very early on in her career that uh, she wanted to go into engineering and pulled out all the stops and despite a lot of resistance from both the school that she was in and her parents who felt that this was not the kind of traditional career that a girl should be going into, she got uh, sponsorship to go to university by a large aeronautical company and then went back to work for them. Uh, but throughout her career, she felt that she suffered from hitting glass ceilings and that the culture of the organisation was not, not conducive uh, to her maximum performance in the job. And so she eventually took voluntary redundancy uh, and has now relocated to the National Health Service, where she's feeling much more comfortable although extremely vulnerable in employment terms. So, again, to quote verbatim, she talks about, I was a bit frustrated by what I would say was a bit of a glass ceiling in the organisation, frankly. I was getting less and less comfortable with being in the military part of the company, and I thought that the civil division was more about taking people on holiday than it was about dropping bombs on people. But as it turned out, the testosterone fueled environment that was a civil business was quite objectionable to me. I wanted to move out completely. So there she's describing how internally what she did was moved out of the um, military part of the company where they were making military aircraft because her values seemed inconsistent with that to the civil aviation uh, part of the business, which she thought might be kind of softer. And yet that decision to move internally did not pay off and she found that her work was just as, as difficult and, uh, in the end, decided to leave altogether. The final example that I wanted to talk about very briefly is uh, one of the participants who was 60 at the time of the uh, interview. Uh, Debbie is interesting because uh, during the interview she explained that she'd had no fewer than 26 jobs during her, her career development. This she explained because her husband, uh, she'd just followed her husband wherever he'd gone. Uh, so she'd moved around the country 
according to his job transitions, she'd had three children along the way. She'd had to take time out, go back in, come. So she had a very uh, complex career trajectory. Uh, but she honed in on one particular example when her husband had moved to a different part of the country and they had just literally located and she'd been fortunate enough to find herself a job uh, in an organisation. And just as she was moving, she found that she was pregnant and she felt that the honourable thing to do would be to go to see her future employer to explain that she was pregnant but she would like to continue with the, the contract of employment and take time out and come back to work. Uh, but at the initial meeting with her employer, the employer simply told her not to bother to come back. So in Debbie's words, I'd only recently moved up there with a new job, which I was asked to leave since. Anyway, it was not very pleasant. It was obviously before days of law, but I could have made a big, big fuss. Well, you're in a very weak position. You don't realise that you should have, should and could have made a fuss until it's too late. And then you go with the flow. So she was summarily dismissed and she just accepted it. So those are sort of three of the rich stories that we've collected from the 12 women in England and the rich stories in England are matched by stories in the other five countries in which we're researching, uh, sort of highlighting a particular theme in England, this issue of discrimination and harassment, which is, is normed by the women, kind of normalised. Uh, very typically, one of their reactions was they would describe an incident and then say, well, you know, you just got to get on with it, haven't you? Uh, so it wasn't complained about, it wasn't labelled, it wasn't reacted to or responded to in any kind of negative way. They kind of took the hit and somehow managed to develop different strategies for moving on. Um, so that, I think, is the uh, extent of the um, research that I wanted to talk about. Uh, the hopefully the research uh, is will result in various publications which will be highlighted on the the Warwick website, uh, but it sort of leaves all sorts of issues around the underpinning philosophies that underpin careers guidance that need to be uh, considered both in relation to the cultural context and their implications for practice. So the results are already beginning to point to uh, key findings around the kind of underpinning philosophies that underpin career guidance uh, within a particular cultural context. And the implications that the findings have for career guidance is something that the researchers are all very interested in working out and working through. Uh, so publications to go up on the IER website. Thank you.